All right, welcome in Thursday, Locked On Syracuse podcast. Time for part two with Mike Waters today. Going to dive more into the future of the Syracuse basketball program, get into some his thoughts on this recruiting class that is coming up, and also some great stories about some of his favorite players to interview, some great Jim Beheim stories. That's all coming up on the Locked On Syracuse podcast. Mike Waters, part two, is up next. You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What about, as we talk about sort of the future of the forward wing position, what about Chris Bunch? Because I saw you wrote an article about him this week over on Syracuse.com. What'd you learn through talking to him? And what are your thoughts on what he could give to Syracuse next year? Well, first of all, he's a dog lover. He has a little French bulldog named Anubis. So, Always a He's plus. automatically a great kid, right? You're a good guy <laughs> if you like dogs. Um, so, <laughs> now I, I've seen him one time in person, and what I got from it was there's a lot of potential in this kid. He's six seven, bordering six eight. He's long and lanky. He's got a little bit of bounce in his step. He can jump. Uh, he loves to block shots. Unfortunately, every once in a while, it feels like on defense. He's almost willing to let his man kind of get a little bit ahead of him and lull him into thinking that he's beaten Chris, and then Chris catches up for the block. That's great in high school. <laughs> not going to work in college. <laughs> it's not going to work in college. You know, so he's got to get a little stronger. He's got to get a little bit better defensively, learn to move his feet. Um, he's got a really nice jump shot. He's got to hone it a little bit, you know. It's he has it's listen, there's not a lot to fix. There's he really looks great on the jumper. You're gonna want to get it more consistent. Uh, because at the college level, you're gonna have taller guys coming at you, faster guys. Um, you're not gonna the openings are going to be like that instead of like this. Uh, you know, it's gonna be like a split second instead of three seconds to like really load it up and have that nice, easy motion, he's going to – and this is true for all kids going from high school to college, okay? So this is not criticism of Chris Punch. This is just, like, generally what you say about every kid coming from high school to college. But, listen, the raw materials are there. It's a very athletic kid with good length and a nice-looking jump shot. Um, is he immediate impact? Boy, I hate to put that on a kid. I, I, I would hesitate. Um, he's, he's very thin. Uh, he's, he's got to add some weight, um, you know, so, and he's got to get a little better defensively, but I tell you what, he, he, I, he is a guy that's going to get a good long look next season. And whether it's next season or the year after that, I, I think Syracuse has got themselves a player that a few other programs might've missed out on. It's, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how fast it happens, but there's a distinct, possibility that you know you, they found themselves a good one what are your overall impressions of this class of 2022 because Jim Beheim has said it's one of if not the best of his entire career I, I would guess the the 2002 class uh, would probably have a little bit of a gripe with that uh, <laughs> featuring Carmelo Anthony but um, what, what are your overall impressions of, of this Syracuse class that's coming in and Jim Beheim clearly has high hopes from saying that there could be two to three starters and all five guys could play yeah, you know, there's a few other classes there, too. There's there's the class of, uh, I think it was recruiting class of 96, that Aton Thomas, Jason Hart, LaShawn Howard, Rock Lloyd, 
Uh, some really, really good players. Not bad. Um, you know, <laughs> one guy is now your school's leading block shot guy, and the other guy is your leading steals guy. So, uh, you know, there was another class that included Billy Owens, Dave Johnson, Dave Syok, uh, Richard Manning, and somebody named Hopkins. Uh, <laughs> you know, that was a pretty good year, right? So, oh, and going back to that, Atan Thomas, Jason Hartier, there was a kid in that class who never played for Syracuse, but by the name of Winford Walton. Um uh, High school All-American, great talent. Unfortunately, didn't work out academically. Never played here, but uh, had he, holy crap, um, would have been a great year, great class. So I think what this class is, is you don't have that McDonald's All-American top 25 guy who's an easy choice. Like, he's going to start next year. This guy is a is an immediate impact freshman. You don't have Carmelo Anthony or Billy Owens or, you know, guys like that, right? So – but I think what you do have is you have five guys who are all quality players and they all seem to have been recruited to fill a distinct role. Peter Carey, athletic shot blocking center. You know, eventually you can see him emerging as a Jesse Edwards type. Um, but it's going to take some time. And the good news for him is he's got Jesse Edwards and Frank Anselm ahead of him for a year or two. He need, He's going to need that. Um, the Malik Brown kid out of Virginia, seems to be a prototypical power forward, uh, but he's got to work on his game. Uh, he's coming from a very small school, so you don't expect immediate impact. We mentioned Chris Bunch, Quadier Copeland, and Justin Taylor. You know, we'll, we'll see. I think you got five guys. I think it's a foundational recruiting class, to coin a phrase. I think these guys can be a really solid foundation, and if you can keep them together and have them develop as a group, in two or three years, you're going to be looking at this group and going, wow, you know, you had a five player recruiting class and you've got three or four guys here who are in your starting lineup now and they're all contributing. Um, you know, I just, obviously there's just, there's just not a, you know, there's not a Carmelo Anthony in the bunch here. I don't, I don't even think there's a, you know, there's not like a Dante green in this bunch. So, you know, and remember a lot of Syracuse fans forget this. They, they hate Dante Ayer because he left for, for pros after one year where they made the only made the NIT. Dante Green averaged like 17 and a half points and led right. that team in rebound. He was fantastic as a freshman. Uh, it wasn't his fault Eric Devendorf tore up his knee uh, 10 or 14 <laughs> games in that year. I mean, that team would have been a heck of a lot better with, with Devo on the floor. You know, they weren't. And then they became extremely young and they already had Andy Routens out with a knee injury. So all a bunch of all of a sudden it was just a bunch of young kids, and and Dante still out there averaging seventeen and a half points a game. I mean, think about it. That's pretty hard. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it's always tough to account for injuries. When you talk about that class, you you mentioned foundational pieces. I think it's safe to say this is a fan base that is starting to get a little bit squirmy. They want to see some more results. We've seen some missed tournaments. We've seen years going wire to wire unranked that uh, we've seen teams that, I mean, you're used to seeing teams that are good in the regular season and then producing good tournament runs. You're usually getting one or the other at this point with, with this team. What does it give you pause to, to say that this is a foundational is our Syracuse fans going to be upset with this recruiting classes? I guess what I'm trying to say, because <laughs> It's not going to happen overnight. There isn't a, a transcendent freshman that can maybe take this team into the top 25. I hope they're not upset with the class because I hope that we in the media haven't been overhyping them. 
Uh, I hope in like having this type of conversation, we're like, hey, a bunch of good quality players, but you know, maybe not a guy that like right out of the box is going to set the world on fire. So let's, you know, let's give this this uh, this class some time uh, to improve and season, and you know, we'll, we'll see where they go. But I think this is the type of class who can help you get to where you want to be. Like you want to be where Notre Dame is this year, right? And look what Notre Dame's got a bunch of guys who they recruited who maybe at the, at the time weren't, you know, flashy all American types, but it's Nate Lazuski, Dane Goodwin, Prentice hub. And they've all stuck around. They've gotten old. It's that old Mike Bray philosophy of get old, stay old. And for a few years there, Notre Dame, they, they lost that. They weren't able to get old and stay old. They had a whole slew of injuries too. But now you have that group. And then this one year you added a really top recruit in Blake Wesley. I think that's what Syracuse has to try to get back to is get these guys, get, you know, you got to recruit better. Jim Beheim said it a, a week or two on the ACC coaches conference call. You know, how does the, how does some of these teams in the ACC get better, including Syracuse? And he said it, recruit better players. You know, get better players and coach them better. And just, you got to get better. And I think right now, um, you know, when you honestly look at it, if you go back and look at the high school ratings of some of this guys you got in Syracuse, these are not where Syracuse is normally recruited. They, they don't normally get high school all Americans, but you can't have an entire lineup of guys who weren't in the top 150. Um, and now you're, you're getting back to that. So, you know, we'll see where they go, but, you know, Benny Williams is a quality recruit. Jesse Edwards has developed into the center you hoped he would be. Um, you know, so now we've got to see where these other kids take them. But, yeah, you, they do have to get some better, stronger players in here and then develop them and keep them around. And the keeping around thing is, is the hard part right now because just like fans, kids don't have patience either. And and so they're more liable to, to hit that transfer portal. And that can really uh, – handicap you um really hamstring your your efforts to develop kids and and like build a program it's really hard to to build a program the old-fashioned way i mean shoot you you look at baylor you know all the transfers and stuff like that and that's the, it's worked out a lot for baylor but um it's really hard to because a lot of these transfers struggle uh, right off the bat and, and the hard part is losing them it's who you lose um, you know, you'd, you'd love to see like kids stay in your program because as a coach, you want to develop them. Okay, more coming up with Mike Waters, but football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. And Bet Online has you covered from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds, right to the Olympic coverage as well, and information for that. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Speaking of the ACC as a whole, because... I was watching Villanova Providence last night, and that's two top 10 teams in the Big East, and it kind of hit me. Man, there has not been a single ACC conference game this year where there's been two ranked teams going at it. Duke has been the only ranked team throughout all of conference play. It is really down this year. 
why do you think that the ACC has gotten to this point and we're looking back on some of these other Big East schools that left in Louisville and Pittsburgh and Georgetown? I know they're still in the Big East, but some of these schools are struggling like Syracuse from that similar sort of region. So why, why, what do you make of the ACC kind of struggling? I think each team in the league, I don't think it's one big overall thing. Like this is what's wrong with the ACC. Mm-hmm. I think each school or each team has its own individual story and reason why they're struggling. I think we've seen Syracuse struggle and they decline a little bit after joining the ACC. I think Syracuse still hasn't figured out how can we be the program we used to be when our brand was built in the Big East and now we're not in that same league. They got to figure out we got to rebuild our name brand and figure out how we're going to get those players back to us when, you know, we're now in this new league. Um, Carolina, Carolina's struggled a little bit in the last couple of years under Roy Williams. And now you have a coaching change. Um, so, you know, Carolina's kind of got to figure out where they're going to go. Is Hubert Davis the answer or not? And, you know, good luck to him. It's, it's hard to replace the guy, you know, that, you know, to replace the legend. Uh, boy, I mangled that phrase, didn't I? So take two. Uh, Louisville. Listen, Louisville just keeps shooting itself in the foot with all the NCAA violations and the probation, the Chris Mack stuff. And listen, you go back and you're thinking to yourself, uh, David Padgett on an, as an interim head coach, his one year there, they finished that season number 38 in Ken Palm, or maybe it was the net. And now you look at where they are after three and a half years of Chris Mack. Um, they should have kept David Padgett. And uh, by the way, quick little side note on David Padgett. Do you know his occupation right now? No, I I know the occupation of one of his assistant coaches. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm cheating uh, because that would be Greg Paulus, uh, who was on Paulus, uh, who was on Padgett's staff that one year Louisville. Of course, we know Greg's the the head coach at Niagara now. What's Dave Padgett doing these days? He works for Morgan Stanley. That's a darn good job, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's I like, thought he was good. I'm I thought he was, especially given the conditions. Absolutely. How you go from being the head coach of a Power 5 ACC institution yep. and not being the worst thing in the world on an interim basis, and now you're oh. a financial advisor or analyst or whatever he's doing at Morgan Stanley? Listen, again, darn good job. Good for him. But, yeah, I'm surprised some other school didn't swoop in and say, you know, we see what Louisville didn't hear. And, you know, Louisville caved to, like, you know, having to win a press conference and appease all their fan base and everything. They wanted to win, you know, make a big splashy hire. So they paid Chris Mack a boatload of money to leave his alma mater and, and stuff like that. And then you found out he won the, you know, he had issues too, right? So, um, you know, they're paying the price for that now. But, you know, listen, Virginia's going to get back. Tony Bennett hasn't forgotten how to coach. He's going to get back. I, Notre Dame's on the cusp of the top 25 now. Mike Bray's got them going again. I thought Virginia Tech would be better. Uh, losing that kid, Tyrese Radford, uh, and that was a totally unexpected transfer portal thing for them. If they had Radford on this team, Virginia Tech's in the top 25. Um, so, I, you know, all these little teams have, you know, stuff that went wrong for them. But, listen, and eventually Florida State's going to get back. Leonard Hamilton will get it going again. Louisville's going to get it back. Virginia will get it back. And listen, in another year or two, the ACC will be fine, and they should have four or five teams in the top 25. But they all need – they should all be on notice. Like you got to get working harder at this. And whatever you guys are missing out, 
whether it's not adapting to the transfer portal or, or what have you, or just recruiting better, uh, you can't, you can't have too many more years of this uh, where you just have like the SEC and the big 10 just lapping you. And the big East is, is having a, you know, banner years. It's like, it's kind of funny, isn't it? John Swafford thought he was going to put the, you know, the kill shot on the big East back in the day. And if you look at it now, the only big East teams he killed were the ones he took. Uh, because the Big East is fine, and and meanwhile, all these you know these other Big East teams, you know, from Syracuse to Louisville to Boston College to Pittsburgh, they're all struggling. Um, and then and then what he did is you know Swafford then watered down his own product. So, you know, he got a lot of praise and a lot of backpats for for doing that back in the day. But I don't I don't think it had the result he thought it was going to have. And that's a credit to the folks in the Big East Conference who still know what they are. They are a basketball <laughs> conference. And actually what the ACC did, they did the Big East a favor because the Big East was struggling there for a few years when they had that whole football basketball thing going on. Now that the Big East is back to what it originally was. They're playing basketball again in the Big East. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, just look at last night. That was an awesome environment with teams that it was basketball first. It was awesome. And you bring up the SEC too. Guess what kicks in in two years? That ESPN SEC TV deal for, I think it's $300 million or something in that neighborhood. So yeah, you're that's the college see- basketball version of the Death Star. Yep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you could see some of these SEC teams. You mentioned lapping. They might say, take a second lap around that track, around uh, the ACC and some of these other conferences. So just something yeah. to keep on people's radars moving forward. Before we get out of here, I do want to get into some of your career as well because we mentioned off the top Hall of Famer, <laughs> Hall of Fame person as well. What, what has been the you gotta most rewarding part? got to brag about yourself some more. Yeah, yeah, I know. We're <laughs> not much to brag about. <laughs> but you are a Hall of Famer. Not many people can say they are in some sort of Hall of Fame. And for that, we, of course, had to bring you on. Um, but when you look back, I mean, you, could you ever in your, in your wildest dreams imagine? You mentioned a, a kid from Tennessee. You went to North Carolina. You're a Syracuse basketball encyclopedia. You, you've brought up names <laughs> on this show that I have never even heard of before. Like, <laughs> could you ever in your wildest dreams imagine you ending up in a place like Syracuse? No, that was pretty, yeah, how I ended up. up here. I didn't know where Syracuse was <laughs> when I first was interviewing for the job. I had to look it up on a map. <laughs> I, had, I had heard of Syracuse, of course, because of basketball. You know, the Big East was on the rise when I was in college. You know, I'm, I'm a 1986 grad. So think about it. I'm down there at Carolina and my buddies and I are surrounding TV sets and dorm rooms, you know, watching Syracuse, Georgetown and St. John's. And, you know, so we knew all about Pearl and Patrick Ewing and all that stuff. But so while I, I was familiar with the name Syracuse and I knew the Carrier Dome and I knew all the basketball players, I couldn't have told you where the city was at, at all. So uh, but I, I ended up up here. It's a funny story. When I was at Carolina, I was covering a lots of lacrosse. And I started doing freelance stories for the Baltimore Sun. Like when Towson State or UMBC or Loyola of Maryland would come to Chapel Hill for a game, the, the Sun wasn't going to send a reporter down to cover it, but they were, a, it's a big lacrosse area. So they wanted a game story. And so for, you know, about the price of a six pack of beer, I would do one. And uh, I, you know, I got kind of hooked on with them. And so for about two years, I got to know one assistant sports editor at the Baltimore Sun. 
and he would handle all my copy and call me up if he needed me to cover a game. And it was great. I had been out of college for about two and a half years. I was in Nashville, Tennessee. And lo and behold, this guy, Steve Miller from the Baltimore Sun, assistant sports editor, calls me up. And I'm thinking, oh, the Baltimore Sun wants to hire me. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> he said, the Syracuse Post Standard is looking for a guy to cover college basketball in the Big East. And would you be interested? And I said, man, that sounds great. You know, um, I'm down here covering NAI basketball and high schools and some AAA baseball. And he said, well, I used to work up there. And one of my best friends is the sports editor. I've already told him about you. Get your clips in the mail. And, you know, long story short, you know, about a month or so later, I got the job and I was moving from Tennessee to Syracuse and arriving in Syracuse in the middle of a snowstorm. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> you know and then you know life takes its course and you know you're all of a sudden you're you've been here 30 some odd years and uh now lived in Syracuse longer than I've lived anywhere else in my life so uh this is now home for me so it's and it's been pretty good to me too who would you say over the years this might be tough but who are some of your favorite players to interview over the years? And maybe there's, you know, one or two that really stand out that you really enjoyed talking to. Oh, more than one or two. I mean, there's a lot of really good uh, guys who've been great with me and have been funny or introspective or thoughtful. You know, a good interview can, can be a lot of different things. You can have some guy who's funny and telling stories like a Scoop Jardine, uh, <laughs> Terrence Roberts. Um, or you can have like the, you know, some really thoughtful guys, a Tom Thomas, uh, comes to mind. Uh, Craig Forth, uh, was a real thoughtful kid. Um, he might not give you that funny quip of a quote that you're going to use, but he gives you all that perspective on something. Um, Mike Hopkins, geez, you know, my, my first year on the beat, Mike was redshirting. So nobody was interviewing this skinny red shirt from California, but, I started talking with him and realized this guy's borderline <laughs> insane and funny as hell. Um, so, you know, and then, so I've known Mike Hopkins since then. Um, but no, it's just over the years, there's been a, there's been a whole lot of them. I mean, um, you know, all three of the assistant coaches, I, I covered them all. They were all great. Jerry, Allen, red, um, but you know, Preston Shumpert, uh, Demetrius Nichols. And I, I tell you what, we, we, we could be here a lot. We'll be here a lot longer if I, you ask me to name every great guy or good guy or good interview. And, and we, could, we could shorten it down if you said, well, who've been the jerks? Because it's been very well, few who jerks. Been the jerks. And I'm not going to tell you who the jerks were because that's not <laughs> nice. I'm not going to tell you. You can figure it out for yourself probably. Or, you know, buy me a beer sometime and we'll say it off the record. <laughs> now, I'm not going to be mean to somebody just because they were sort of, a, you know, tough, hard to get to know. But I'm telling you. For every one jerk, in, in there's been at least a hundred good guys. It really has. Looking back at some of the the other stories, what's been your your best Jim Beheim run in? Because he's not he's not not always the nicest to every single reporter. But what's your best Jim Beheim run in? I don't know. Um, you know, again, I, I, don't, I don't want to air. You know, some of that stuff between Jim and I is. is listen, some of the run ins were. You guys haven't seen it. It wasn't in post-game press conferences. Mm -hmm. We've had some really good good ones when nobody was around. Um, 
one, actually, there's one funny story. Was, um, I only say this because actually there were people around. They just couldn't see us. Jim was mad about a story, and it was on the occasion of Jake Krauthammel's going away press conference. Longtime athletic director. <laughs> and Jim and I are out in the hallway, and he's mad about a story and whatever. And so, you know, his voice is rising, and so we just have our little thing there. And then I, we go in, and the door was open. And we're at the old Manly Complex, uh, like a cafeteria room that's been turned into like a press conference for Jake. <laughs> and it, you ever remember like in school when there was like a, a heated argument going on in the hallway and like you were sitting, all the kids were at their desk and like everyone's looking at the door right. when the teacher comes <laughs> yep. back in. That's the way everybody was looking at me as I come back because <laughs> all they heard, I think, was Jim's voice and they were wondering who in the hell he was yelling. <laughs> <laughs> So, do you remember what the story be, was? You know, I think it might have been like we, like every year we print like the top three or five salaries at the university based on the mm -hmm. previous year's tax forms. And, you know, they're not like a state public school where all the salaries are, are, are available. So it's, you know, you get like the top thing. And, and, you know, listen, everybody wants to be paid well, but nobody wants anybody to know what your salary is, right? Yeah. So yeah. I understand it. I get it. It's kind of sucks. But at the same time, you know, there's a reason why you like you get access because Syracuse, even though it's a private school, there are some state tax dollars. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> listen, we all know there was the Jerry McNamara. We wouldn't have won 10 F in games press conference. Mm -hmm. That was fun. Um, you know, there's been there's been a few others. Uh, but listen, those are few and far between. And I tell people this all the time. Listen, Jim Beheim will try you. He'll test you. Uh, he'll test like your knowledge or he'll test whether you want to come back and ask that question again. And he respects it if you do, but you know, he's also good for us in the media. Yeah. He says what he thinks. He gives us good yeah. quotes. He fills up our notebooks, right? He's not vanilla. It's not bland. Um, the practices were open for many, many years. I used to go and attend practices all the time. And like from beginning to end, you know, and up until COVID, we were able to go for the first 20 minutes which sounds good to every other beat writer in the country who can't get into any press. For me, I was like, hey, we, I used to stay all the time, you know? So like, <laughs> I'm complaining about 20 minutes. Everybody else would love it. Locker rooms are open post game. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't happen in many places anymore. And I keep telling coaches and people at other schools, SIDs, there's a reason why he does it. It's because it's good for the program. It benefits him and no one listens. It's like coaches will copy other coaches strategy. But it's amazing how other coaches won't copy Jim Beheim on how he handles like yeah. media with having open locker rooms and stuff. Um, yeah. And he calls us all back, at least, you know, once you, I don't know about you, you're young students and stuff, but <laughs> like the reporters who have been around, you know, he calls us back. We call, we leave a message, we hear back from it. Um, you know, sometimes he calls us uh, when he's not happy. It's fine. It works both ways, you know, and that's a good thing too. Um but I'll tell you one other funny story about the open practices. Um, one time I was at the Dome because they were practicing the day before a home game. So they practice at the Dome instead of Manly or, or Mellow Center. And I have a phone interview set up with Jamie Dixon, the Pittsburgh coach. And so I get Jamie on the phone and I'm sitting at the desk and I've got my computer out and phone's up to my ear. And, and I'm, so I'm talking with Jamie and behind me, you can hear basketballs and every once in a while you hear the eh of the scoreboard and, you know, a horn goes off. And mm -hmm. finally, Jamie says, 
are you, where are you? Are you, are you covering a game this afternoon? And I said, no, I'm at Syracuse's practice. And he said, Jim Beheim lets you into his practices. <laughs> and I said, Jamie, what am I going to do? Write a story that they practice the two, three zone. I think you already know that. And he laughed and he's like, yeah, you're right. They don't do anything. We don't mix, you know, you know, we can see it all on film. So he's like, but, but Jamie Dixon's practices were closed and immediately he couldn't believe that I was sitting there just watching Syracuse practice. Wow. That, that's it's great. And that's the thing is like, as someone, I mean, I'm in Chicago. I, I've listened to more Matt Nagy press conferences than I would care to listen to where he says nothing for 20 minutes. Jim's going to cut. You give him five minutes. He'll tell you everything on his mind. And that's sure. the beauty of it all. There, there, yeah. there I, I don't think there is a more transparent coach in any sport in America than Jim Beheim. Yeah, just about. I mean, when you, especially when you add up, he's willing to say what he thinks. He has opinions and he shares them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the open locker rooms, post game press conferences, calling you back, um, open practices. It's, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, yeah. There might be no other coach in the country that says, quote unquote, media friendly. well mike we really appreciate you hopping on and spending some time with us um thank you so much for everything you've done for us whether it was when we were students and and, uh, no one too this is another thing about mike nobody (laughs) from any publication from any publication of anywhere i've worked is willing to go up and talk to the students quite like mike waters is and bring them along point little things out to, to the students here and there you're, you're one of the most willing and friendly guys on any media row that I've ever encountered. So we thank you for well, that. And, and that's why you're a Hall of Famer, not just in, in, for the U.S. basketball writers, but a Hall <laughs> of Fame person as well. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, in, in hearing that, I mean, that, that makes me um, happier and prouder than any Hall of Fame thing. I, I do. I, I love, like, helping younger journalists and talking and this, you know, whether it's giving job advice or just – uh, hey, your lead could have been a little better here, or that was a good story, you know, just because sometimes as a younger reporter, you, sometimes you don't know when you've done it right, right? It's like some, you, sometimes you need somebody to tell you, yeah, that was right, do that again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so no, I've always enjoyed that. Um, so, and, and listen, the, the quality of, of the students that come through Syracuse is unbelievable. So Really, all I'm doing is sucking up to you guys before you make it big, so you'll remember me when you're. Uh, we'll speak in your class, right? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> you figured me out. Oh no! No wonder They're you were so to nice me. to my cousins all those years. All right, Mike. Appreciate you hopping on. Thanks so much for the time, and hopefully, we get some good basketball down the stretch here. That'd be great, guys. All right, you all take it easy. All right, really great having Mike Waters on the show. We thought we'd have him for 30, 35 minutes, but he was so good that we had to break it into two parts and some great stories there. We'll be back on the show tomorrow, a Friday edition, getting you guys ready for the weekend game against BC. And also, Ty, we got to talk about this recent article and reports coming out in Coach K and Tommy Amaker and how he sort of maybe pushed him out the door for the successor position there at Duke because... I think there's an interesting angle that might tie to Syracuse a little bit in that regard and maybe Mike Hopkins and what Syracuse could be thinking once they do get to their decision of a successor. So that's all coming up on the show tomorrow. For Tyler, I'm Tim. We'll talk to you guys on the Friday podcast.